0: On today's Truth Factor Discussion, we see a murder, a prison break, and a king who dies a gruesome death. Thank you for joining us for hopefully this uplifting study of Acts chapter 12. This is the Truth Factor Discussion. You know, we do this every Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. We'd like to thank you so much for your interest in all things biblical, and as we attempt to factor the truth of God's Word into our daily lives. This morning, um, we have a guest with us. And so, Paul, I'm going to turn this over to you and have you, if you would, to do two things, not just two. Introduce your guest and tell everybody how they can join in today's study.
1: we Will do, John. Uh, let's do the second thing first. And if you're watching uh, or, or you'd like to watch in the future, you can see us at youtube.com slash truthfactorlive. We invite you to subscribe and to click the bell. Uh, so that you are notified of when we go live. You might also look on Facebook.com slash TruthFactorLive or Twitter.com slash TruthFactorLive and you'll find uh, what you need to do to uh, be able to see this Bible study uh, that's online. As you think about that, you may want to make a comment or ask a question. On all those mediums, there are ways to do that. Uh, If you would like to send us an email, please send that to questions at truthfactor.com. That's questions at truthfactor.com. And we will take your questions and do our best to bring them in as we study together. Uh, today, uh, alongside me, is a friend who has been uh, visiting in the office today and appreciate him coming here. His name is Brad Phillips. And Brad preaches with the church in uh, Crawfordsville, the South Side Crawfordsville Church of Christ here in Indiana and soon uh, at the end of this year he'll be moving to work with a church in Belleville
0: Indiana and so welcome Brad
2: thank you Paul it's good to be with you guys
0: all righty let's see Paul it looks like you are down for today's study so if you would go ahead and take us into Acts chapter 12
1: I'll be happy to do that, uh, John. We're going to be looking at this, and I I liked your introduction there, uh, because this is sort of an exciting chapter. It's not a, uh, as we think about a controversial chapter, I do think it's a very practical chapter uh, as we look at these things and as we study together, we can make some real life uh, truth-factoring applications uh, of the things that we study about in this chapter. Why don't we jump right in with Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. I didn't assign these out specifically But I'm going to see if Brian would be willing to to read in Acts 12, verses 1 through 5. And as we look at this, we're going to notice uh, very specifically a king that we read about actually quite a bit in Scripture. We're going to read about Herod and about some of his activities and how he was trying to impact the church in a very negative way. Brian, would you read Acts 12, 1 to
3: 5? Thank you, Paul. This morning I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Acts chapter 12 beginning at verse one. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison A constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church.
1: Each time we study together, we try to submit some questions into our chat rooms uh, and see if those who are watching might be willing to answer those questions. And I ask this question, why was Herod waiting until after the Passover to bring Peter before the people? Uh, And so it's an interesting thought there and it says that he is waiting until after Passover. And so the question is, why? I think Brian has submitted that for us uh, into the chat room specifically. And if you'd like to answer that, we'll be happy to bring in your answer after we look at a few things. Tom, uh, why was Herod harassing the church? What was his interest in this?
4: Well, uh, uh, Herod was a Jew, and he was, or at least he was in a—he he had Jewish uh, upbringing. But he was in a Jewish territory that was hostile to Christianity, and uh, and I just see this as one of his attempts to be uh, appeasing to his people. So
1: yeah, when we see the kings and the leaders of that day, uh, they seem to be very much concerned not with what's right and wrong, but with keeping the peace in their areas of not having any kind of uprising or or any difficulty. Uh, you guys yep. agree with that or?
4: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I see that associated with it,
1: uh, what yep. he's doing here. I'm going to ask Brad here uh, if he had talked to us a little bit about how does it say, that James here, we read about that Herod has him executed. Uh,
2: how is he executed? Yes, we learn there in verse 2 that he was killed with the sword. What likely does that mean? It likely means that he was beheaded.
1: Uh, it, it could have been something other than that that involved a sword, but... Typically, when we see this, that the method of execution that was often used was to behead. Uh, We read, for instance, in Romans that the government does not bear the sword in vain. And so they use that sword as a method of execution. Mike, I I asked a question here. uh, Why did James and Peter get the attention of Herod? I think you're muted, Mike, if you want to go ahead and. Take a moment to unmute that, and then uh, go ahead take with your
5: moment there, Paul. That that happens to us, old guys. Uh, <laughs> the way they got Herod's attention was simply preaching the truth. Uh, he didn't like what he heard. If I, uh, and I may be incorrect in this, so if I am, please correct me. But there was a Herod who had beheaded John the baptizer because John dared to tell Herod that he ha- that it was not lawful to have his brother's wife i don't i think this is a second herod, but it seems to follow course that these kings felt an invasion of privacy if you will from christians who would preach about jesus being the king and therefore it got their attention and they would
1: imprison these preachers of the truth sure uh and so Uh, I think when we think about the term Herod, it may refer to almost more of a title. Uh, It's not like uh, Paul or John or uh, uh, any of our names. But as you look at that, maybe more of a title, more of a kingly thing. Uh, What do you think about that, Brian?
3: Uh, Yeah, there are actually, I think, five Herods total in the New Testament. So it does get a little confusing. I had a real quick comment or an observation to see if anybody had any thoughts on it too. When James is put to death, I think it's noteworthy that we see that nobody replaced him in his apostleship. Now, back in Acts chapter one, we saw a replacement established for Judas. And Peter made it clear that Judas's replacement was according to a prophecy that had happened. And I think it's worth uh, considering for just a moment that that with with James's death, we don't see that replacement, understanding that apostles weren't meant to be replaced after they died.
1: Oh, that, that is really a, a good point. Uh, we do see that leading up to that, that we do have that replacement of Matthias replacing Judas, but uh, here James is not not replaced. And so uh, I was thinking about the answer to the question that I asked Mike. Why did James and Peter get his attention? They were preaching as right. Uh, Mike's answer is a right answer. But that had the Jews upset, and he saw that the uh in doing that, that the Jews were pleased by these kinds of things that he was doing. Uh, and verse 3, it says, He saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. So James, in his preaching, got Herod's attention, uh, but he saw how much the Jews liked it. And so there we see that it uh, was pleasing to the Jews as that was the case. John, I'd like to throw a question to you. And what does the react? What was the reaction of the church to Peter's
0: imprisonment? Why didn't they do something about it? That's a good question, Paul. I mean, the way some people have acted throughout history, you'd have thought they would have risen up and led a, a big old march against the Roman government, the Jewish leaders, and brought them all out. But instead, what they did was something more simple: they prayed. Um, there in verse five, there they assembled together and they prayed on their behalf, turning. So to they the did, one. they did do something, yeah. And, I think and there's all, a great
3: point there. Yeah, it's
0: they, they, well. I say they, they left it in the hands of God. They they petitioned the Lord, and instead of becoming fighters, they you know for the cause. I mean, to release Peter, they let God be the one to take care of it, and their prayers is how they acted. What a, what a great answer to that question. Uh, they, they prayed. I, I kind of said
1: that uh, being a little bit silly. Why didn't they do something? They did do something. They prayed. When yeah. you pray, you do something. It, it is a, a good work that you are doing. Uh, do we have any answers to our question? I don't see one in the YouTube chat. Uh, were there any others?
0: None has popped up as of yet.
1: Well let's let's uh then put our guys on the spot here the panel. Uh why was Herod waiting until after the Passover to bring Peter before the people? We we see something that that is seems to be typical that executions seem to be uh when they're handled there seems to be an avoidance of the Passover.
4: Well uh one thing that I would say on that is uh during the Passover it was more of a chaotic time. I mean, uh, they were dealing with other things. I mean, with the number of people that you would have had in the city, uh, I, I'm sure you know you use the description that the, the, the guard probably had their hands full. You know, you know, dealing with other things. So it, it would just be easier. It would be easier when the crowds died down. Plus, this was a controversial decision, e- even though, even though. Uh, 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 This was Jewish territory, and you might say it was hostile to Christianity. There were still many Christians there, and very likely a larger number during a feast, those who are still uh, learning. So it's easier to find a more quiet time, if you will, uh, to, to take care of things like this where maybe there's a little bit less attention to it. That's just my theory on it.
1: Any other thoughts about that?
5: Yes, Paul. Remember, it hadn't been too too long before this, that during a Passover feast, there'd been a great man put to death and three days later raised from the dead. <laughs>
3: uh,
5: there could have been some thoughts here about Herod doing anything to Peter that would come back to haunt this Herod.
1: I wasn't laughing that our Lord was put to death, but just that Herod may have been intimidated.
5: That's uh, what I'm saying. And, yeah. and to wait until after this Passover, which obviously had great influence upon Israel, uh, and then Pentecost Day, 53 days later, another very impactful uh, happening here in Jerusalem. It's quite doubtful that Herod was going to mess with the holidays, if you will, Um he that's was concerned like with losing
1: the Jews, wasn't he?
5: Yes. So wait till all that's over and then do what he will with Peter.
1: And there would have been serious problems with having dead bodies around Absolutely. During, during that Passover. Absolutely.
0: Paul, I think that's Go ahead. probably Go ahead. I, I think that's probably the, the point that that what Mike was talking about. The, the Sabbath day um, and, of course, the Passover were extremely important to the Jews. I mean, look what happened to Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath day. And so if Herod's going to have any respect for any one day, it's going to be that day because he, I mean, and, and he's going to have to bring Jews in on this. This was probably some accusers coming in. It's probably part of the Sanhedrin council maybe has their hand in this as well. Um, so just a thought on that.
1: Very good, uh you know the next section I uh, could have been one long section. I divided it into uh, two sections. Uh, Brad, would you be interested in reading Acts twelve verses six through eleven? I know that Brad is reading today from the new King James Version if as we set that chat up or set that text up. and so uh, we're going to see here that uh, though Herod does not execute Peter, uh, he is going to make sure that he's in prison for the time being. And we're going to see what happens with that. And so, uh, Brad Phillips, if you'd read Acts 12, verses 6
2: through 11. Yes, beginning there in verse 6, we read, And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly! and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people.
1: Well, thanks, Brad. Uh, we have a question to another question for the chat room. Who was it that delivered Peter? And so in the chat room, uh, I see that Brian has dropped that in for us, and maybe one of our viewers on Facebook or on YouTube would be happy to answer that question. Uh, When you read that text, uh, read down through there and see who was it that delivered Peter. Uh, Who have I not uh, got yet? I think I've got several of you guys. And so I'll come back to Brian again. How secure did they have Peter in the prison? Maybe that's sort of a trick question. uh, How secure was Peter in prison? Uh, in, in the terms of men's eyes, I, I suppose, how secure
3: was Peter in prison? Uh, you know, Paul, I, I forgot earlier, did we mention the number of guards that he had on him? It said in your one of your questions was about that, and we had four squads of soldiers. And did we say that a squad is four soldiers? I
1: think okay. I skipped over that question. I apologize. Okay. Just no, to, that's
3: okay. So I think we have 16 soldiers total watching him. And i and frankly, I, I can't even fathom if that means in uh, that many soldiers for one man. Uh, and, and what do they think? Is Peter going to escape? Is he dangerous? It seems rather outrageous. But what the answer you were looking for is that it says very specifically that he was literally chained between two guards. So he is literally tied to two men. And I can imagine one on each side is probably the most likely way that's accomplished. So that's I cannot think of a more secure way to be bound to two guards in a prison uh, in in history. I can't think of somebody more secure than that.
1: You know, I was thinking about that and having 16 guards, uh, guards at every doorway, uh, guards chained to him. Uh, We have a situation there that uh, is just really uh, intense. And uh, when we see that, uh, even if some of them needed to sleep, uh, that they had uh, a situation where they could take some shifts and not have any any doubt that Peter was going to be uh, held very secure. Herod had seen to it that in the very best way, he knew how Peter was securely in prison. Now, we know that Peter is released uh, here. And I'll, I'll go over to uh, Tom. And Tom, why don't you tell me about, uh, list some of the miracles. There are multiple miracles here that were done. And if anybody else wants to chime in as well, that'd be great. But list the miracles that were done in Peter's release from prison.
4: Okay, well, well, the first thing you have is the appearance of an angel.
2: Yes.
1: And uh, uh
4: and, and, and and here, here Peter is sleeping at night, even though he's about to be executed. I know that you might not call that a miracle, but it certainly is something, you know, interesting to notice his confidence and so on. But 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 here he is. Uh, you find that the angel wakes him up. There's a light. There's a light that shines in the prison. That's probably a miracle that takes place. Uh, 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 The angel waking him up, his chains fall off, uh, being instructed to to, to get dressed and so on. He goes outside and he follows him. And as he's following him, uh, you read in verse number 10, he passes the first and the second guard posts. Uh, Something's happened to the guards. They're asleep or something. Uh, they come to a guy, iron gate, and the gate opens on its own accord. Uh, something that we could easily do with a remote control and with Hollywood now, but realize back then they didn't have those things. Uh, and and then of course he gets out into the street, and uh, the angel departs, and 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 he's left there alone. And, and it's not until then that he realizes that this is real.
1: Yeah, this is such a dramatic event that Peter is going through it and not realizing if it's real or if he's dreaming, if it's a vision. And finally, he gets outside, and he's alert and awake enough, and he realizes where he is, that he knows that this has really happened. Regarding the prison where he's kept and why there were so many guards and things, I don't know that we can nail it down definitively, but Brian had an interesting thought about this.
3: Well, I'm wondering. Back in Acts chapter five and verse 19, an angel set Peter and the other disciples free before. You almost wonder if maybe the prison has a bad reputation of prisoners just up and walking out like that. Uh, it's almost comical when you think about it. Not not to think of the fate of the guards ultimately, but uh, certainly the fact that they just can't seem to keep the prisoners in. The angels keep letting them go. So,
1: wasn't it Alcatraz in our culture that was known as the prison that that was inescapable? Yeah and uh, it seems like yeah if if this is the same prison it seems like kind of an open door uh yeah. when they try uh, to impact christians.
4: Yeah uh one thing i would say there though i kind of leaned toward this was two different prisons because the first prison was maintained by the jews and it was associated with the temple. They were the ones that arrested Peter and John here Herod is taking care of it So this is likely Herod's prison And I don't think that those are the same prisons okay. that's, just my, that's just my personal opinion on that I, I'm not familiar with Jerusalem uh, uh, Haven't had a chance to take one of the tours over there So,
1: so in addition to murder A prison break And a king who dies a gruesome death We can pit Brian and Tom Against each other in a debate Or maybe not Wait, uh,
4: wait a second if I'm right, there is no debate.
1: <laughs> two, two, two letter word. Sorry. <laughs> if. Uh, anyway, no, I, I appreciate that. I think we have an answer to our question in the chat room. I think we may have a couple of answers, possibly. Uh, and someone said that Jared had answered the question that we have in the chat room. Uh, the question was Who was it that delivered Peter? And Jared says, and I think this is a, a reasonable answer. An angel of the Lord, uh, is that, a, is that a, a right answer, gentlemen? That
4: is a right answer.
1: That is a right answer. <laughs> uh, Mike, would you see, maybe uh, expound upon the answer a little bit?
5: No angel could have done this without God's permission because angels are messengers. Therefore, the truest answer is God released Peter from prison. Don't forget that the church is back here praying. To whom were they praying? For what would they have been praying? And here's their answer. Peter doesn't realize that yet, but God answered the prayer affirmatively, and God took Peter out of prison.
1: Uh, That's right. And in fact, in verse 11, it says, Now, Peter says, Now I know for certain that the Lord, the Lord has sent Mm -hmm. his angel. And so Jared's answer is exactly right. Is exactly right, as well as Gregor's there. Uh, God, of course, angel, of the Lord seems to be a particular. I think it. Man, he's got a particular angle, uh, or maybe it's a particular <laughs> angel, uh, and he's not going to speculate further on that. But uh, when you think about that uh, and consider the uh, angel of the Lord, he was here. Peter understands. That yes, an angel came and got him. An angel did the work, and so that is a correct answer to that question: uh, Who released Peter? It was an angel. The authority behind it was that the Lord had sent the angel, and so I, I appreciate that. That's a, that's just a maybe a tricky question. John, hey
0: Paul, I got a question for you. Is this the same angel of the Lord that we see in the Old Testament? And so we're going to go on and read in Acts chapter 12.
2: Uh, I
1: don't know. Uh, I don't have an answer to that question.
5: Well, if I may, let me step into that just for a little bit. Uh, Go ahead. Step in. we We did a very extensive study in two different congregations where I've worked on the subject of angels. In the Old Testament, there is at least... there are at least two passages that use the phrase the angel of the Lord one of them is Isaiah 6 the other is in the book of Judges where you find Manoah and his wife give worship sacrifice to the angel of the Lord since angels in the book of Revelation refuse to be worshipped we can understand that the angel of the Lord that appeared to Manoah Samson's parents, Manoah and his wife and received that worship We can understand that that had to have been The Lord himself Secondly in, in Isaiah chapter 6 Where the Lord puts the uh, His words into Isaiah's mouth We find later in the book of John That Jesus confirms that That's when Isaiah saw Jesus And confirms that fact So the phrase The angel of the Lord can mean Christ Most of the time however It simply means an angel of The Lord or sent by him
1: you know, uh, I'll I'll be uh, a little bit embarrassed to admit that I didn't foresee that question coming up uh, and, and the discussion on that. I think it's a really good question, and, and you guys have provided some, some good answers, and some uh, in our private chat have uh, surmised that maybe there's a difference between an angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord, uh, and mm-hmm. I'm not familiar
0: enough with ancient languages to tell you uh, about that, but I think it really is a good question.
2: John, well, I appreciate
0: you bringing that up. Well, this is one of those times I should have just thought it in my head only um, <laughs> what what caught my phrase was is and they were talking about it an angel of the lord i thought well i've heard people say and mike i'm gonna talk to you about it when we get time i've sure. heard people surmise that in the old testament the angel of the lord was was christ and um in all my years i've heard that a couple of times i've never actually studied it in detail enough to know for certain but then when I saw this phrase, I couldn't help connect the two together. Clearly they're not. I mean they're not going to be the same mm-hmm. same angel. It's just the way the phrase is used here, but sorry Paul, that, that I should have just let that appear. <laughs> no, no, I you know what I,
1: I like the kind of study that we have where we can bring out a, a question that maybe we've not prepared for, and we can discuss that and it, it is a good good thing to do that. Uh, We're going to go ahead and go to Acts chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Uh, Mike, would you like to read that? And uh, I'm going to ask John, after Mike reads that, if uh, I'm going to step away from the camera for just a minute. And if if I'm not back, if you'll go ahead and and introduce that chat room question. But Mike's going to read in Acts 12, verses 12 through 19, and I believe he's going to read from the King James Version.
5: Yes, sir, I will. Be glad to do that. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. When she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. They said unto her, Thou art mad. And she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they'd opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there both.
0: All right. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you reading that for us. Uh, Paul had to step away for just a second. But well, let's go ahead and introduce the chat room question for this particular section. And here we have it before us on the screen. What does Herod think of Peter's release from prison? Okay, kind of think about that as we look at this section. And we'd like to hear from you. What does Herod think of Peter's release from prison? All right, let's see. Paul, are you back yet? All right, let's go ahead and consider looking here at the text here. One of the first things we'd like to kind of uh, throw to the guys here at the group, and let's. I'm, I'm going to pick on Brian about with this question right here. What does it mean that Peter had come to himself? You know, it, it is
3: interesting. Uh, it seems to suggest the idea that Peter, verse 11 there, wasn't certain exactly what was going on. We know that uh, verse 9 says he thought he was seeing a vision, but... It, you know, you almost imply, somebody said it earlier, maybe he wasn't even fully awake at that point either, but he just kind of came to a realization of what he was seeing and what he was meant to understand. So, uh, you know, um, it could even imply a little more than that. It could be implying that he actually realized what God's purpose in doing this was, too, as he kind of came to himself in Acts chapter 10 whenever he perceived that God was not a respecter of persons. So you really have two different levels of, of possible answer there on that.
1: It reminds you a little bit of maybe
3: the prodigal son. Mm. Yeah, there's another time that term was used, isn't it? That's right. I didn't think of that.
1: Uh, Mike, who is this Mary?
5: This Mary is uh, the mother of John Mark. And John Mark will later be following with the Apostle Paul. Uh, There is... um, I, I can't. I can't identify her any better than that.
1: No, that's good. And at the end of the end of this chapter, we have a reference to John, whose surname is Mark, and that he was traveling uh, initially with Paul and Barnabas in, in their work that they were doing. Correct. Hey, John, why don't you tell us about this Rhoda? Uh, here, Peter comes to the door, and, and she has a report to deliver. Tell us about her report and how the report is received.
0: Well, here we have a young lady who's with, um, other Christians and she hears a knocking on the door and of course she goes to the door and, um, there stands Peter. Well, th- th- she doesn't open the door yet. She hears his voice and she recognizes his voice as the one of Peter. And so she, she goes to them and everything and she carries forth this report, what she has heard. And, um, You'll notice in verse 14, it says there that when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. So she was beside herself. She was very excited. The problem is the people there did not listen to what she had to say. They thought it was his ghost or spirit, as we might use the term.
1: It's interesting, though, that what they were doing was that they were in there in prayer. We read previously that they had been praying specifically about Peter's imprisonment. And so that's interesting, isn't it? That here, uh, when their prayer is answered, that they
0: find that hard to believe. Paul, do you think it had to do with who? Who uh, Do you think it had to do with Rhoda herself? Let's say if she was a younger person. <laughs> Um, I mean, cause here we are, we've got several years now that have gone by and many conversions are still taking place with miracles. We see miracles being performed and people then hear the truth converted to the truth. So you would kind of be expecting the brethren to ask God to be able to perform a miracle again and, and deliver Peter. But I wonder if it's because the age of Rhoda, maybe that they were quick to dismiss, dismiss her. Well, certainly a great event has happened, and she responds to
1: it with with uh, in a, in a way that's appropriate for that. But you would think, well, if it was Peter, why didn't you let him in? <laughs> maybe yeah. uh, so. Maybe that had that's something to do point. with it. Uh, and, and I think that's a good question, John. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I do think that when we pray for things, we ought to believe uh, that that you know why would you pray for something you don't believe God. Could do. Uh, now, we realize that sometimes God delivers different answers, but why would you not pray for something that God could do? And I think uh, as I look here, uh, my my good friend uh, Brad is turning over, I bet you, to the book of James, aren't you?
2: I am, and uh, just thinking about that, uh, I, I'm reminded of what James says there uh, in, in thought of one who prays and asks for wisdom. He says there in James chapter one and verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. I'll just throw this out for anyone who wants
1: to chime in or or has a comment about it. Do you think that good people and even praying people uh, could sometimes struggle with doubt?
5: Absolutely, We are an instantaneous people, uh, meaning that most of us lack patience. Therefore, because we don't see instantaneous results to our desires, uh, we struggle as to whether or not it did us any good to pray. God does things on his time clock, not ours. And uh, he answers prayer three ways. Yes, no, and most of the time, wait a while. Patience. Uh, It's been said that patience is a virtue, but I find it difficult to say that that's true when patience and virtue have to be added to our faith. They're not the same thing at all.
1: So, Mike, I heard someone say once, "There's a fourth answer that God sometimes gives," and I think it's, uh, I think it's right, and I think I see it in the request that Paul made uh, when he asked for the thorn in the flesh to be removed, and God's answer sometimes is, "I've got something." Better.
5: Of course, That's correct. Better. I like that. I like yeah, that. Thank something you.
1: different. Yeah. yeah. Something better than what you asked for. Uh, here Paul wanted the thorn in the flesh to be removed. God's answer is my grace. My grace
5: is sufficient. My, and
1: his grace yeah. was greater uh, than the taking the thorn in the flesh away. You might you might think about when you pray for uh, maybe some aged person and you're praying for their, their health to be restored. And it's not that you don't believe God could do that. But God may say, um, "I've got something better in mind for them." Yeah, yeah. So, Ryan like that. you were you had some comments over there. You may
3: not, or you may. I did uh, just just kind of a thought that uh, sometimes we get asked about our obligation to civil authority, especially when civil authority is persecuting or something like that. Um, I don't know if we're quite at the point to make this comment, but. It's interesting that Paul doesn't subject himself again to Herod, but instead leaves Herod's jurisdiction. And while we're not really authorized to resist the government to, you know, that of course there's some debate as to the extent of that. Uh, but we do see here an, op- an authority being given to us that we can leave, that we do have the authority to uh, remove ourselves from the jurisdiction of an uncivil or an unfair government and find ourselves somewhere else. So there's a little bit of a, uh, a lesson on authority here and how we might be able to respond to an unjust civil government.
1: Uh they didn't execute Herod or uh tear down the prison, but but there was nothing wrong with, with Peter finding a way to <laughs> to get out. That that I, I think that's an interesting thing to talk about. Uh Tom, you had messaged me that you may have a comment.
4: Yeah. yeah uh this going back to the question of doubts and so on. Uh uh I think when when James is warning us to not doubt, you know, the ideal circumstances when your faith is as great as it can absolutely be. And I mean, you can, you can, uh, you can say a prayer and, and, and if you will, looking at the example of Peter, I, I find it very interesting that Peter is sleeping. You know, I mean, if I knew I was about to be executed, would I be that calm, you know, <laughs> from that standpoint? So there's probably a little bit of trust there, but but one of the things that comes to my mind is is that there was an occasion even in the life of Jesus in mark chapter nine where where there's someone that asked Jesus to heal a, a demon possessed son, and Jesus says, "If you believe all things are possible and it says that the man cried out and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief so you know uh, 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 there's one thing to believe God but still be struggling with the uh the uh the depths of that, uh you know I, it, you never ever completely doubt God, but yet you wish that your faith was stronger. There may be some thought that comes into your mind that you are uh, that that you're struggling with, but in but in all of that you tell yourself I'm not going to deny my Lord, uh and and I'm going to believe what He tells me even though I don't fully understand it. That's one of the things we have to deal with today in evidences. And one of the things I think that many churches have learned over the last uh, decade or so is when your young people ask questions and when your young people express doubts, don't throw them away. Don't embarrass them. Don't rebuke them because they're questioning something. Help them find the answer to the questions. You know, so you it's, were- not whether, it's not whether you doubt, it's what you do with your doubts.
1: One of the things I love about studying uh, together in a group like this is that you guys notice things that I just read over. And one thing was that Peter was asleep uh, and he has to be woken up by an angel. And how would I be if I had been thrown into prison knowing that one of my good friends, uh, fellow preachers, fellow disciples had just been executed and that probably they were just waiting for the Passover to be over? Uh, How would I feel about that? I I really appreciate that, Tom. You You brought out a good point. Uh John you had a quick comment.
0: Well the only thing that I've got that comes to mind over this with prayer I think the what makes prayer most effective in our life is one thing and that's trust trust in God. Um when we think about what Paul says in Philippians we are to cast our cares upon him. I I personally don't see prayer as so much being an avenue where I'm going to ask God for a lot of things. Um, instead i'm gonna let my cares be known to him and then i'm gonna trust him um i'm gonna thank him for the things that he's given me and i'm gonna pray that he provides me my daily needs as well as my spiritual needs so forth but if there's any heavy burden on my heart the only thing i can do is cast my cares on him and trust him and i think this is why peter was able to sleep peter trusted in the lord He had faith in the Lord, and um, I I think that's what makes prayer so powerful. is isn't so much of what we are asking for, but is that we trust God to take care of things. Just a thought. I think that's a good thought.
1: Uh, I see that we have, uh, oh, maybe about 15 minutes left, and so let's tear into these last few verses. Uh, Brad's been kind of quiet, and so I know he's read once, but I'm going to ask him to read again. In Acts 12, verses 20 through 25, again, he's reading in the New King James Version. And let's talk about uh, Herod here. Herod has had a prisoner escape. Herod's a very severe man. He's executed uh, James. Every indication is his intent was to execute Peter. Uh, The guards uh, that are there, uh, he has executed that allow, or in, in his view, allowed the escape. And so let's take a look
2: at Acts twelve verses twenty through twenty-five. Picking back up there in Acts chapter twelve and verse twenty, we read Now when Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and having made having made Blastus the king's personal aid for their their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel. Sat on his throne and gave an orientation to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of God and not of man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Thank you, Brad. Uh, as we look here in, in uh, the question for our
1: chat room, uh, I ask you for kind of an application question in our chat room. How might we be guilty of Herod's sin? Uh, of what it says Herod did here. Is there any application for us today that we might be guilty of that same thing? Uh, Tom, you want to tell us how uh, Herod made friends with Tyre and Sidon and in, in, in the situation there and how I guess they made friends with him.
4: Well, we actually uh we're not given the complete details of the friendship. What we do know is uh uh I I guess uh, they made friends with Blastus who was a, a personal aide to, to Herod and uh so I guess what we would call they created a political connection. And and also you have the idea that there was exchange from the standpoint of food you know the the idea that Herod, from wherever his country was, provided foods for uh, for for uh, uh, Tyre and Sidon, and um, uh, obviously that probably means that they gave something back to Herod in return. So, so they were so pretty they, flattering they too.
1: What's that? They were pretty flattering toward Herod as well. Oh, oh
4: well, well yeah. I mean, as a result of what happens here uh uh they're flattering to him for some reason uh uh whether uh we're told i think that well in verse 20 we're told Herod was angry with them and so uh, uh they didn't want that anger and uh they wanted to resolve whatever the whatever their conflict was and one of the way that they did that was to inflate his ego uh,
1: it seems like all of the herods that we read about in scripture i've even read some uh, extra-biblical history of them. They seem to be pretty severe people, uh, and that's interesting uh, to think about. Mike, uh, what is the reaction to Herod's speech? Here he he dresses up in his fancy clothes, and he gets out there in front of the people, and he makes a big speech. And uh, what is the people's reaction to Herod's speech?
5: Well, at verse 22, they're gotten by this quite, quite well, and they say that it is the voice of a God and not of a man. And uh, I, if I may, I may want, uh, I'd like to just uh, elaborate just a little bit. When we read, uh, when we read commentaries and information by non-inspired men, we need to be very, very careful. In this particular instance, uh, some years ago, I read Josephus's account of this. Josephus likes to embellish everything. Uh, it seems to me. He has Herod arrayed in glistening apparel uh, and says that Herod had seen an owl in daytime. That'd be a very rare thing to do, but it had made him, uh, according to Josephus, it made Herod radiate so that the people saw him kind of glowing. Well, whether you can prove that or not by scripture, the fact of the matter is That being arrayed in royal apparel Whatever that might have been uh, He sits on his throne He makes this oration unto them And he begs this attention To the point that The very speech itself Enthralls the people saying It's the voice of a god And because God's not Given the glory God smites him and he dies of worms
1: When we read about this yeah, uh, Obviously God Shows his displeasure It talks about an angel of the Lord struck him. He dies right there. He's eaten of worms. It seems to be a pretty gruesome picture uh, that's laid out there. And and I wanted to ask, and and I think Brian may have a comment, and I'm going to also kick this question over to him. Uh, How could Herod have handled this differently? How could he have given glory to God? How could he have uh, avoided this uh, terrible death, uh, handled himself before God in, in a more righteous manner?
3: You know, I was thinking about your question, and as I was thinking about that, it occurred to me that in the next chapter, we see Paul and Barnabas, uh, the same thing happens. As Paul and Barnabas are speaking, their uh, their oration is so considerable that the people start uh, shouting and saying that these men are, are gods. And it's interesting that Paul and Barnabas uh, are, are offended by it. They actually rip their clothes over this, and uh, they're actually so upset that actually not the next chapter I think it's acts 14 but uh, that they're so offended by it and upset by it that they're pleading with the people not to believe that not to say that so I would say that so that would be the answer to your question it would be Paul and Barnabas when the same accusation is made to them they're they're utterly offended by it uh, they don't take any glory by it which seems to be what Herod is doing but instead they're immediately rebuking the people and trying to tell the people that we're uh, we're not You know, we're not those things. And so, uh, um, you know, again, it says the people didn't want to listen much, but uh, they cried out, Why don't, why are you doing this? Uh, That's uh, Acts 14, verses 14 and 15. Uh, I I think
1: that that what you make there is a good point uh, as we consider that, that we would not want to accept anything uh, that should only be designated for deity or uh, given to that. Uh, and so here their flattery w- was was dangerous. And so John, uh, what about when uh, you stand at the back door or uh, whatever door <laughs> you stand at? Uh, and folks come out and they say, "Oh, good job, what a great job, What a great lesson! Is it wrong to accept compliments that uh, that your speech was very good that day?
0: Paul, this is completely different. You know preachers, our egos are fragile we need people doing that if 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 you preach a sermon and no one comments on it i've known preachers that'll mope for weeks on end (laughs) no there there is a difference obviously um the the difference in part these people were praising him and calling him a god and and not only not only uh, was he not a god, and not only was he accepting the praise, uh, but he had also set about to destroy the church, in kind of like what Paul had done earlier. Um, for us, people are commenting on the lesson and what we did. It does make me a little uncomfortable when someone says, I enjoyed the sermon, but I think I understand what they're saying. As long as we don't think more, sel- more highly of ourselves than we ought to, a little praise and pat on the back doesn't hurt. But it's not necessary by any stretch of the imagination yeah. you know the the kind of compliments
1: I find to be most valuable, John are the kind where someone says the point you made about this it it really uh impacts my life in this way They're very specific in how it yeah. changed and how how it helped them
0: exactly it shows they because they were it because it helps us
1: be able to say things in a similar nature in the future go ahead yeah, yeah. Like I said yeah. it
0: shows they were listening oh sorry, go ahead, Tom
4: you know uh. In the case of Herod, one of the things that I see in all of this is it's just a it's a false it's a false praise. A lot of times when brethren speak to the preacher, it's designed to encourage, uh, as as opposed to lift up their ego, you know, or to or to feed their ego and so on. And now I now sometimes their egos are fed anyways, and and it can go the wrong way. But but I I have another thought. Uh, just kind of came to my mind, you know, based on the question that was asked about about Herod receiving praise from God, and we ought to be careful when we accept that which belongs to God. Here's my question: What about titles? What about when we take titles that belong to God, like Father, like Reverend? And other things that are associated with that that are are done in the religious world today. So, just a thought there.
1: I think I would be very careful with any religious titles, exactly that, that are not applied to. Uh, I know we've had a discussion before about the term reverend uh, and uh, carry with it, carrying with it the idea of holiness, but to wear a title that you're the holy one would seem to be uh, seem to be problematic, uh, to say the least and so uh, i think titles are, are a dangerous thing unless it's a title that the scripture applies to the work that one does some would say and i don't know if this is right or not some would say there are no titles there's job descriptions and maybe that's uh, maybe that's right when we talk about a minister is a servant a preacher is is one who or an evangelist one who preaches an elder is one who uh serves in that kind of an oversight capacity and so um, I don't know if that's exactly right or not, but I certainly wouldn't want to take any kind of uh, whether you call it a job description or a title that is not
3: one that's uh, God given. What do you think there, Brian? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's an interesting point. I actually kind of lean more towards the it's describing the work being done than it is a, a title to an office. But I will say the term office is used on more than one occasion to describe. Uh, you might look at Acts chapter one, so. I kind of flip and flop both ways. I think going back to Tom's original point, I think his point is excellent that I do think that the, that the glory, uh, that sometimes is given to a title is very, very dangerous and, uh, certainly contrary to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23. And so I think that going back to your original question, how do we need to think about this? I think that's one of many ways where we kind of think of, uh, the titles that we have as being more glory than we should.
4: Yeah, and 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 there are actually there are actually many out there who that they let those titles go to their head, you know. And and even if it's something that's earned, you know, what about calling somebody doctor, you know? You know, talk about from a philosophical standpoint. I, I'm not saying that's wrong, you know, because a lot of time what you're doing is you're making uh, you're making a, an acknowledgement, especially if you're dealing with some. Particular subject, and what you're doing is you're establishing the credentials of that individual. But, but, but there there are uh, in the denominational world in particular, there are people that thrive on their titles. They want to be called Reverend so and so, or and and I don't know if it still happens, but I, I know in some of the older liturgical churches, uh, like if you look at the commentaries, you have the Most Holy Reverend so and so is is listed as the one who wrote this article. Uh, the pulpit commentary does a does that quite a bit. When you get into their homiletics and so on and they identify the speaker, some of them have titles that have three, four, five different uh adjectives attached to the front of their name, showing how much better they are than the other one and who just talked and so on,
1: you know. Even in our culture, I think some of turned the, the term brother Uh, Into a title uh, rather than a description of a relationship Exactly I I need to wrap this up Uh, Verses 24 and 25 really uh, I think verse 24 is probably a summary The word of God grew uh, It was multiplied Even in the face of all this opposition God's word is growing and increasing And then uh, verse 25 kind of gives us a little bit of a uh, foretelling of some things to come It says Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem When they had fulfilled their ministry And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And so you have here a work of that we're going to read about of Barnabas and Saul and John Mark. Uh, As you think about those things, uh, I wanted to bring up some truth factoring points as we kind of wrap things up for the day. You know, in the beginning of our uh, time together today, we talked about uh, what the church was doing. Uh, we ought to realize that prayer is something uh it is doing something and is powerful that we can do. When they were praying for Peter, they were doing something, and they were doing something powerful. And so we need to be people who pray. And, and there's something you can take home today as a as a truth factoring moment. We need to trust in God rather than worrying. Peter was asleep. And, and uh, here we see that the idea of praying to God. Trusting in Him that things will be okay, even in the face of terrible uh, things that are happening, that we need to be trusting people. We also need to be believing people, that God can do what we ask. And we pray for things to pray believing, pray in faith. And I thought in this last section that in tough times, uh, God's Word can grow, and we can grow too. We can become stronger and do better. And so uh, there's much more you could probably pull out of chapter 12, but that's our study for today. And I'm going to hand it back over to John uh, for our wrap up for today's
0: session. Thank you, Paul. There was um, one response in the chat room in regards to the question that you had Oh, presented. I'm sorry. Uh, how might we be guilty of Herod's sin? And um, while well, we did do a lot of discussion about that, Gregor pops in with accepting praise as long as the final glory goes to God. Thank you, God, give me the gift. Um, but when we accept the praise, when God should be getting the praise, then we could be in the same boat as Herod. So. I
1: think that's a, a great point. I'm sorry I missed that, Gregor. Uh, it was unintentional, and I asked uh, if you'd forgive me for that. But but I think that's that's a good answer, that when we take praise, when we take um, and get all puffed up and built up and think we are so great. Uh, it's
0: a very dangerous
1: position to be in. Okay.
0: All right. Thank you, Paul. I I appreciate it. I I hesitate to tell you that you did a good job in today's study. I don't want the praise level to get too high, um, to seeing what we just looked at, but you did a good job. I, I appreciate your efforts with that. What we're going to be doing next week is we're going to look at Acts chapter 13, and we're going to, be looking at the beginning here of what is normally called Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, he and Barnabas are going to be sent out preaching the word of God. And so we'll look at that next Wednesday. I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for our study this week. I'd like to thank all the the gentlemen here who have joined us and Brad, it was really nice to meet you. I appreciate your efforts and hope that everything goes well for you. And I hope Paul continues to be nice to you. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate that. And it was good to be with you guys today. Thank you. See, Tom and I go back many years with Paul. We know the real Paul Adams. And so, <laughs> um <Mm-mm. laughs> kidding. But we may have to talk sometime then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you, you think the Paul Adams show is kind of a put on? I don't know about that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And Lord willing, we'll continue our study then next Wednesday. At 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time.
1: In the United States, in the Eastern Time Zone, we study at noon.
0: 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.